All right, and welcome to episode seven of the Where We're We Again podcast. As you may know by now, this is a podcast where we just have a great conversation, and sometime along the way, we might just go, wait a second, where were we again? Anyways, I know, silly, but uh, I, today I brought to get uh, a guest on that I really excited to get to bring on uh, somebody I want to talk to for a very long time and has a huge impact on the Christian music industry as a whole. Um, Mary Nickel, wow, I'm excited. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I never get tired of talking about music, especially with somebody else who loves it and supports it. So it's a joy to be here. Oh, fantastic. Man, I tell you what. So I've got a t- and and part of the thing about this podcast is we talk to all kinds of guests. So we don't talk about just talk to just artists because there's so many cool people involved in the industry and I want to tell their stories. And so you kind of had a, a unique story in that. Well, I mean, you've kind of done just about anything in ministry or in, in the industry, except, well, I mean, get up on a stage and sing in a band, I guess. And heck, you might have even done that for all I know. So I, I just kind of love to kind of talk about that and just kind of get started on like how even just a, a fan who loves the music can have a huge impact on the industry and stuff. So let's start there. So. First and foremost, you do a lot, but how did you get started even doing anything in Christian music? What got you excited about music to begin with? Yeah, so I love telling this story because it really is always an opportunity to go back in time, um, to go back in time to when I was a 16-year-old kid, and I was growing up actually in what was essentially a religious cult. Um, and contemporary music of any kind had been really sharply outlawed. There was a lot of really, really difficult things that were a part of my childhood, and that landed me as a teenager in a place where I was very suicidal, I was struggling with self-harm and an eating disorder. And in that place, I really didn't have anybody who was able to walk along with me because I was so isolated because of like the culture I was in and the religious environment I was in. And music was what met me there. It was songs like The Last Night by Skillet. It was songs like After the World by Disciple that were with me in the days when I was first really deciding that maybe my life mattered and maybe I was going to choose to stay alive and maybe the love of Jesus was something really, really different than what I had been raised to believe. And so that's really where it started for me. Like I think everything that has followed could not happen without the way that God really used those songs as a tool to meet me where I was. I always say that the songs were incarnational. They were the vessel through which God was actually actively present in my life in those moments when I was, you know, like holding a knife on my face on the floor. So after that, really quickly, I started trying to get more involved in like online message boards and things like that for bands. And then I snuck out of the house to go to my first Skillet concert. And (laughs) there's all kinds of little moments like that. But it really just became like, okay, how can I get more involved? And then it became, how can I help other people have the same kind of experience I did where divine love showed up clothed in the skin of a song? And what I found is that I could do that through things like volunteering to like run merch at shows. So I would do that anytime I could. And then I would also like bring my little Sony CyberShot point and shoot camera and take photos. And then I would write um, on my little, you know, just like blogger blog back in the day, album reviews. And as part of that, I came across a new release today or new release Tuesday, as it was at the time. This was about 13 years ago. 
and they had put out a call for volunteer writers. So I decided I was going to be really brave. I was 19 at the time and really had a lot of self-doubt about the quality of my writing. But I was like, if there's any chance I could serve this industry and just be a small part of the meaning that is behind it, then it's worth it. So I sent my writing in and really within about a week, they actually had me assigned to develop my whole own column. And from there, it was off to the races. It was just like they would have like a need and I would say, oh, I can do that too. And then they'd have another need. I'd be like, I can do that too. And so then I was doing photography and then I was managing their writing team. I was doing a lot of their um, analytics and ads reporting and like navigating the ad booking process with labels. And then like along that same timeline, I was getting married and I got married to a boy who was in grad school in Nashville, which landed us both exactly where we needed to be. Because then I spent five years while he was in grad school, really just investing in the music industry. Um, just like I was sort of NRT's boots on the ground for a long time. I was the one who would like go to red carpets. I would like go and like shoot acoustic performances, interviews, anything like that that was needed. And I was in that role for a really long time, um, for almost eight years. And then when that season kind of came to a close, I started to feel like I wanted to shift from being in the journalism side of things to being on the other side and being more of the publicity side of things. Because I really felt like that was a way that I could support artists more directly. And because I knew so much about the journalism side of things, it was really easy for me to pitch coverage to outlets. And I like had already formed a lot of relationships with them. So that shift really happened now almost six years ago. Um, and I have like worked with clients like Disciple and Lacey Sturm and Love and Death and Sony from POD and Brian Head Welch. I mean, just mostly like rock and roll is kind of where I live now, pretty much universally. And then in tandem with that, because of my involvement with music, I got to know this band Remedy Drive and became sort of kindred spirits with their lead singer, David Zock, who is just a really profound prophetic voice. And he introduced me to his work with the Exodus Road, a counter-human trafficking organization. And now I am um, on staff full-time with the Exodus Road for almost three years as their senior writer. Wow. And so really, music is to blame for all of it. Music <laughs> has led me um, so many different, like, critical, pivotal paths in my life. And I just have so much gratitude. Wow. Yeah, and I don't think we can ever stop telling these stories right i think you have such an amazing story just in the in the short few minutes we've already gone through is like that's such an amazing story of how music has had a major impact on the course of your life one keeping your life which is huge in and of itself and then how it's shaped your life going forward and now it shifted the the, the picture of things and where now you get to have an impact on not only others in the industry helping artists, which is something you kind of sound like you dreamed of doing, right? It was like there was a drive and a passion for that. But now that in turn is having an impact on other people to get them passionate about music. Because even if it's not directly where you're reaching out to a fan and just saying, you got to check this out, this is amazing. You're doing that through your writing or in your publicity through writing about a release for an artist right um we just got done uh talking with matt sasano on our last episode you know and you've had a lot of power behind 
you know, some of his most like recent work and trying to help push some of that stuff, you know? And so, and honestly, like if you're out there reading anything about a Christian rock artist, Mary's probably involved somewhere. <laughs> you could probably find her somewhere in that, but you know, and it just says that, you know, it's amazing how God can work through the simple little things. Just one little song that somebody wrote, and then have a huge impact. And and I love the fact, and, and you know, I don't talk about it enough. You know, um, there's a lot of great artists out there, but Skillet was one of my first real rock artists that I mm. became a fan of, right? Because I, I you know, my experience is I was a pastor's kid in a, in a pastor's home that, you know, it was a good home and all that, but it was, I, I didn't know music. I listened to contemporary worship music because that's what you do in a pastor's home, right? Right. Oh, and, I'm sure. I told the story last week or last on the last episode, but my first real experience with Christian music that's not worship was DC Talk. (laughs) Oh, nice. And I say DC Talk, it's not what you think. It's not Jesus Freak. No, that'd be too easy. No, it was New Thing. 1990 DC Talk. So, I mean, I started out way back, and this was back in like 2004. So, like, it was way past that era. But there I was, you know. So, and then the first time I got exposed to skill, I'm like, what is that? Because it was was comatose. Mm, Right. And that's, and and, and you bring that up, it's like, that's amazing, right? Because that was my first real experience to Christian rock. Now, I'll say this. I didn't realize I heard Skillet before that, and it was really because of Veggie Rock. Um, yes. Oh, I'm so glad. That's a deep cut. I meet so few people is. who know that. I know. Well, if you grew up on VeggieTales, you need to go find this album if you've never heard it. You get some of the best artists in Christian music covering VeggieTales. And it's great. There's a lot of great songs on it. And then you get to the last song, and you're like, <laughs> What? Because you're hearing them do the song Stand Up from the Chocolate Factory with the bunnies and all that. But Skillet was in their Collide era. What I still view as Skillet's heaviest era. Mm. And they're doing a VeggieTales song in that style. Excuse me. What? I'm telling you, look, if you love hard rock and you love VeggieTales, you need to go find that if you've not heard it. It is an essential. I endorse it. Right? Okay. So we derailed a little bit. But, you know, it's funny you brought up The Last Night, though, because it's it's amazing how John basically wrote that for somebody in the same same type of situation you are. It's like, this is it. I'm done. And then it's amazing how just that's got to turn around and impact you in that way. And it's so cool that you're getting around and the way that impacted you and changed your life. Now you're taking your life change and promoting music just like this. And there's probably countless stories that haven't been told that are just like yours because of the work that you're now doing, you know, and and that's a big thing that I try to push on this podcast is realize that you, whoever you are, a casual listener, whoever you might be listening to. If you really like the music, the smallest thing that you can do can have the biggest impact, whether that be you just get excited about it and start talking about an artist on your blog, carrying around your little cool pics camera or whatever that might be. Maybe it's just going and commenting on it. It really is this simple, right? You, Mary, can really attest to this, right? Just commenting on their post, whatever post that might be, liking it, sharing it, whatever. That can have a huge impact because that's how the internet works nowadays is the more people that interact with a post, the more people can see it, you yes. know? And so it's, it's, it's just a great highlight of just even the smallest thing can have the biggest impact. 
not only on yourself, but on others. Right. You know, and so I, I just love that story. Um, so tell me more about this. Right. So let's dig into that a little bit more. Right. So you've have a lot of different pieces. Right. So you kind of went from new release today, kind of said, hey, this was great. Let me move into some stuff. But you kind of slipped something in there, too, that you started doing called uh, you're involved in rock on purpose, more, more or less. You actually started that. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. What I did when I actually did transition away from new release today is again, I was like, okay, I'm going to be doing more of the PR angled things. And then I was like, but I feel like I still want an avenue where there can be some of the conversations and like album reviews and interviews and things like that. I was like, that part of my passion still needs a place to live. Sure. And so that was why I founded Rock on Purpose and really quickly had a bunch of collaborative collaborators join and it really is a hundred percent a passion project um it's been really freeing to do that after i sort of like lived in the um like much bigger scale christian music journalism world for a really long time where there were certain like pressures and stakeholders that you had to sort of like be in alignment with but rock on purpose has really just been kind of forever like i'm just going to do what i want to do and invite every contributor to do what they want to do also um, I always say when somebody like asks if they can like write for me or asks if they can like take photos, I'm always like, you do not have any requirement to do anything more or anything less than exactly what you want to do with Rock on Purpose. That's amazing. So if you chip in like one article a year, amazing. If you chip in one photo gallery, like every six months, great. All I care about is that the table is open. And that has really been how it's operated. And it's been really cool that it's stayed this very organic kind of grassroots community and that it is a place where I still, in a way, get to be a fan because it is like Christian music journalism or Christian rock journalism, especially purpose-driven rock journalism. And at the same time, it's just me saying, this is what I'm thinking about, about the music I love and inviting some of the other people who are creatives in this world to do the same thing. So no, I've been that, so fortunate over the years just with the people who have lent their skills to it. Yeah, I love that. And I think I love the fact that because you highlight something there that I think is really kind of interesting for me because it's something I've kind of I haven't had too much experience with it myself because I've never gotten quite out there enough to experience a bit, but I know it's there because I've worked with enough artists to know about it, right? It's like Sometimes you got to know the right people or work around the certain ways the industry wants you to work mm. and do things a certain way. And we're not going to get into specifics because no, um, it's not uh, one of my things that I always say is, you know, we talk about, hey, what do we not talk about? Whatever. Politics is one of those things. And sometimes I'll talk about music politics a little bit, but I want to be careful not to, you know, disparage anybody or any particular organization. But the reality Absolutely. is, I do want to talk about some of the difficulties in the music industry. Because it's a real thing, because part of I, I like to do this twofold, right? I like to have some great stories. I like to talk about, you know, how the average person can make a huge impact. But I do like to talk about some of the things that might be interesting for artists to kind of have conversations to hear about too. And right, you know, and sometimes just having those conversations, like how do you navigate working in the industry sometimes? And it's a challenging place to be, you know. And I would think you would probably got to experience and witness a lot of those challenges. Um, yeah living in nashville let alone working some of the red carpets and things and getting be in the thick of it you know um i think that's such an interesting position that we've been in the last probably 20 years and it's changing too we're already in a space where that 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 mode and way things are going is changing but 
for the longest time, like if you're in Christian rock, <laughs> good luck, right? If you had to be one of the chosen few, and if you were not, you're not getting promoted. You're not going to get an award. You're not going to get recognized. Nobody's going to talk about you. Good luck. You know, and I think that's one of the things I really loved about what you've done is like you wanted to still highlight anybody. If you're good, you're putting out great music. Let's talk about it. You know, and that's kind of where I've always sat, too. But, um, you know, talking about that a little bit, like what 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 was the what was the drive behind just um, trying to get away from some of that? Like, was there something that kind of like. You're like, I need to get away from some of these bad industry experiences. Is there something that kind of shifted you to say, we need to do something different to get away from that? Yeah, I mean, I think the drive is heartbreak. I think that for me, as a person who is really, really like vision and mission oriented, seeing the lack of integrity in a lot of spaces around the purpose became a really difficult thing for me to keep showing up and being around. Like there were so many times where I just like felt a very deep and profound loneliness, like in being somebody who was in the industry, but who was in the industry from a perspective of being so married to purpose. And I saw like a lot of the people who I cared about, a lot of the artists who I believed in the most getting shoved aside. Like it is one of those things, like you're saying, like especially with faith-based rock, it was often, you know, seeing them excluded. Seeing mm. Billboard eliminate the Christian rock charts, seeing them not be included even in categories and major awards shows. And I just kept saying, man, if my friends aren't at this table, I don't want to be at this table either. My friends are out there because they got kicked out. I want to go out where they are. I know how much good work they're doing. I know how much it matters. And I can't keep kicking around all these conversations in these boardrooms that are actually about things that are just you know, straw, like they have no staying power. There's nothing that's going to last about this. And I think really part of it too, is just like, I got so tired of conversations about how to sell a message. And I instead wanted to live a message. I wasn't interested anymore in all of those back and forth, theoretical, hypothetical, what's going to be the best angle to make sure that things are marketable. I just wanted to be wherever people's lives are being changed. And that's kind of what I've done. Like, even in like moving into nonprofit work simultaneously with music work, to me, that's the best of both worlds because I really am able to operate from a position of purpose at all times. And one of the things that I encourage people in the industry who are getting burned out um, to do is I'll say, okay, next time you're at a concert, and first of all, go to concerts, don't stop, because I think a lot of people. Um, that's one of their mistakes is they stop being on the ground and actually engaging with it. But I say, go to a concert, no matter any concert and go stand at the back of the room. I don't care if you have comp tickets. I don't care if you could stand side stage because you have an all access pass. Stand at the back of the room, stop watching the band, watch the crowd. And anytime I need a headset shift, I need to like get my perspective straight. That's what I do as I'll go and watch all of these people, watch them engage with the songs, watch them singing along, watch them crying, watching them dancing with their friends, watching the parents with kids, and seeing that humanity on full glorious display puts the industry in its appropriate place. 
as a vehicle, not as an end in and of itself, and not as the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority lies with the listeners, with the people who are being changed. That, I mean, that's a perfect highlight. And I think it almost, and, and it really does encapsulate a lot of the conversations we've been having over the last quite a few episodes at this point. It's, you know, it's not about just going out and doing, it's not a business for a lot of these people, right? Everybody I brought on this podcast, it's not, this is not business. This is passion, you know, and it's passion for the art they're making. This is passion for the lives that they're affecting. It's passion for the fans that are listening to this art. Um, and I think that when you view it through that lens, it takes on a whole new meaning, you know, and I think you voiced that so well. I, you know, I'm terrible. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a very, very, uh, thesaurus type speaker, but I just, um, I just love the way you frame that picture. Right. That really kind of set the tone for what it is that I'm doing, you know, as well as is what you're doing. And, you know, and, and pretty much everybody that we've been involved with so far, you know, because the industry does have its place. There is some space for that. There are aspects of the industry that are very helpful and pushing for some of that forward. There are bad actors in the industry, just like any any business. There's bad actors. But there are a lot of good people out there too, and that's kind of what I wanted to highlight too, mind you. But um, so some of the things that I kind of like to get into a little bit and dig into is because one of the things that I always strive to do is that anybody I put forth and have a conversation with and put on a platform is I want to make sure that we're having a conversation with somebody that's authentic and real, right? What they're pushing and and communicating and displaying themselves to be is who they are. And that's a hard thing to identify sometimes. Um, who are your, some of your favorite people that you've kind of worked with that are just as real as they seem and as real as they get? Um, I want to highlight some of those people, you know, just because they deserve th that attention and they need to be celebrated, too. Yeah, man, I have. Big question, I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm like thinking about it. I mean. This is one thing I will say is as much as we can talk about the industry and there's ups and downs, what I can say is so many artists are coming at this from a position of true calling and purpose. I think especially in faith-based rock because it's so hard to make it that either they give up or they have to be carried by purpose. But two names really come to mind for me immediately. And one is Kevin Young. And I would be very, very remiss if I didn't say that because I've actually known Kevin since before I worked in this industry. Um, I've known him since Disciple was one of my favorite bands and I was going to shows. And he took time off stage to speak into my life as a teenager in a very, very specific, kind, Christ-like way. And it really, really altered the course of my life in some very serious ways when I was younger. And now I've done all of Disciple's digital marketing and communications for. Um, man, about five years now, and working together professionally, that same level of integrity and care that he always displayed when I was just a fan and then when I was a journalist has held true in collaborating together as well. He has just really, really been a model for me personally throughout my entire coming of age of what it looks like to be faithful to your calling and to do everything you can to pursue that calling with integrity. And that has just been like the hugest gift for me. Like it really has, I mean, now I've known him just about half my life. Um, 
which would make him feel very old if you heard me say that. <laughs> but that is the truth. And it really has just had a profound impact on me. And I have so much gratitude. And the other person I would immediately think of is Lacey Sturm. Um, I've loved Lacey's voice for a very long time because of its authenticity and how raw it is from, you know, early Flyleaf up through her solo music. But then working with her, especially this past year, I've worked a lot with her on um, some of the press material around Canotic Metanoia, which is her sophomore album that released a couple months ago. And those conversations were some of my favorite conversations I have had in doing this work because they didn't feel like they were professional. They felt like they were spiritual, like it was 100% um, heart driven, heart oriented. And so often there were moments where there was this blurring of the line where it felt like what was happening was not like an appointment so much as it was like a divine crossroads we'd both been landed at. And that's just because of how she lives her life. I cannot take any credit whatsoever. It is just 100% her being so open to the flow of the spirit in a way that I have not seen in anybody else I have ever encountered. And she is so much what you see is what you get. And her wide open bleeding heart is 100% who she is. What you hear in her music, that's her. And I wish we had more like that. But I have been so grateful to learn from her and to be challenged in my own ability to be authentic and to be open and in my own ability to say, none of this is about me because she is so humble. She is so committed to this idea of literally none of this is about me. Um, and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous to get to write about and such a gift. Yeah. And I'll just say this. I can attest to every last bit you just said. Uh, I have not had a huge amount of direct contact with Lacey, and I've had some contact with Kevin, um, I, mainly because I'm a Patreon. Hello, if you're a fan, if, if they got a band's got a Patreon, go do that. That's a great. Way yes. to them. Anyways, but, you know, so I've gotten to see Kevin quite a bit through that a little bit. But um, from a show perspective, I've gotten to see both of them in action on stage, but also behind the stage, you know, and seeing Kevin in that moment, like. He's as real as it gets. You know, it was the coolest thing. I actually have an old interview I did with him many years ago. Out front, we got kicked out of the venue because they decided they were going to close. And they said, get out. I'm like, oh, man. Okay, fine. So I'm standing outside of this venue in the middle of downtown St. Louis. And we're doing an interview from the headlights of my car. It was... (laughs) It was great. Oh, wow. But you know what? He had traveled all day. They got to the show late. They were were worn out. And he's still staying there at midnight, just absolutely just all in on this conversation. Just, and I could, you know, and both of these people, you can feel it. With Kevin, it was definitely like you can just feel that authenticity and the realness. And there was no personas or anything like that. It was fantastic. Same thing with Lacey. Man, I tell you what, you, you, everything you said is just absolutely real because what, I experienced, I've never actually talked to Lacey. I I actually uh, did a, help run a music festival here in St. Louis several years ago, and they had booked Lacey Sturm. And so I was kind of backstage, just kind of watching, kind of making sure everything's going and, and moving and stuff. And I, and I didn't see her or anything, but I look over and now I tell you what, Lacey's got the most just like, just such big presence. For mm-hmm. such a small person, <laughs> I just look. Oh up, yeah, I'm like, and I look over. I'm like, what's? That? Oh, okay. And she is literally on her face before her set, just 
praying and and just like giving everything she's got preparing herself for that and it was one of those things that like when i saw that like it just you could feel that heart and passion into what she does and it just hit on a whole nother level just seeing that i never actually spoken word to her and i can feel that everything that you said so well just just from that moment you know, and and if you listen to her music, it's the same thing. But it's just, it's just so cool to see even behind the scenes where most people don't get to see. It's there's no different, and it's even more of that. You know, um, so I, those are two very perfect examples. So I'm so glad you brought those two people up. Those are fantastic uh, examples of that. But man, that is that's some good stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, so more of that it's just like it's so cool to get to see that and work with some of these people you know um what has been like some of the best uh 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 what is one of the most interesting experiences you've had working with an artist in the last several years you've you've got i mean so many to pull from but like what is like let's let's come with like come at it from like this like what is one of the more surprises you've had like oh wow okay that's really kind of cool type experiences oh man well, one of my favorite stories to tell that's like along the lines of something that really surprised me is um, towards the end of my time in Nashville, I got invited to the studio of Jonathan Kane, who's a keyboardist for Journey. And this was when he was first releasing worship music. He's had a couple different worship albums that have come out. And so his publicist was like, hey, do you want to come and uh, record an interview and maybe some like acoustic songs? And that entire experience was surprising because it's very surreal to pull up the studio and to come in and, you know, like all this journey, like trophies on the wall, because Jonathan Cain is one who actually wrote like, don't stop believing and faithfully. So, you know, one of the most like successful rock songwriters of our time. And he just was like bouncing all over. He had like the energy of like a 16 year old kid and he like, loved the fact that I had blue hair at the time and <laughs> we're having all these conversations. And then we like move into one of the studio rooms to record an acoustic performance. And there's this baby grand in there. And he told me that it was the one that he had brought in the last couple journey world tours. And so that was surreal enough that I'm like, here's this piano and here's this man who's like, again, literally like iconic in this genre and has accomplished so much. But then he just like gives me this cheeky grin and drops into the chair and busts out the don't stop believing riff. <laughs> and I just about like had a heart attack on the spot. I was like, what is even my life right now? Like the level of surreal that it feels like, you know, to just be in this room where he just very naturally is cheekily showing off. Um, and he was very kind and it was a great experience, but it was also just one of those things. It's a moment that's like, man, I'm a kid from a cult in Texas. What am I doing here? And I have a lot of moments like that, but that was one of the peak ones. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I think that's some of the most fun experiences is things like that, you know, like just the unexpected moments in some of those things, you know, we get to have a lot of cool experiences just because you get to talk to some cool people. You know, may not be anybody that anybody knows. And that's the great part about it. You get to meet new people and, and experience people that may not normally get the attention, but they're the they're, they're some of the neatest people. Um, and sometimes you get to hang out with the coolest people that everybody knows. You're like, what in the world am I doing here? You know, one of my favorite stories on that was 
I was uh, helping out on, a, on, a, on an internet radio station here in the St. Louis area. And, you know, I, I had been known to kind of do interviews and things at the time. And uh, the guy that owned the station called me up uh, on, it was the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. He calls me up and he says, he woke me up. I'm like, hello, like, what, what are you doing today? I'm like, uh, nothing. He says, you want to go hang out with corn? <laughs> okay. Next thing you know, two hours later, I'm sitting on corn's tour bus between sitting between Fieldy and Head. Nice. Having an interview. Now, I, I've said this before. Please don't go look that up. It's it's not great. Um, <laughs> I was still really new to the thing, and I'm and you got me looking looking real awkward between these guys. I'm like, because they said right. if you're do if you're just a tip for anybody, if you're going to be interviewing somebody, don't let them put you in the middle of the two people you're interviewing. Oh my word! Yes, that sounds like a nightmare. It was it was not great, and they they were so gracious about it. They didn't they didn't seem to have any reactor. Just but it it looks so awkward if you go look it up. It just <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to now. With the you way you're it. It, it was it, it was an interesting like he had an interesting answer because you and it's funny too because the way <laughs> the way they edited it down is my none of my questions actually got put in. Mm. You just have their answers, but you have me looking awkward between the two of them looking over. And You're just like sitting watch. there while they answer it. Uh, and I'm just look so awkward and uncomfortable, you know, and I, and I was because I'm like, well, yeah, they're the nicest guys, but they're the toughest looking dudes you could know, but they're the nicest guys ever, you know, and it's mm-hmm. just like, what am I doing here? But it was cool. It was surreal because the fact it was so funny because I always I always like to mention this part because I'm kidding. Um, um, the first thing that happens is we get up there and we walk up to the gate. We're like, okay. And we mentioned to some guy just standing there at the gate, this big, tough-looking security guy. We're like, hey, so we're here to interview uh, Head and Field. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Hold on. They take us up to the green room. Now, it's funny because, you know, there's been a lot of, like, changes been going on with all those guys. But, you know, you go to the green room, and you're thinking corn. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, yeah, there's going to be a whole bunch of partying, whatever. Like, you, nope, a bunch of children running around. They're all sitting on the couches relaxing, Aww. drinking vegetable juice, and there's fruit and stuff. And there's just, like, this nice, clean, hey, how's it going? Just nice green room experience. I'm like, huh, that's not what I expected, but I like it. Right. And then, so they take us down to their bus, and we had the whole conversation. But it was just such a neat experience. But as we're doing all this, going back and forth, we're walking back and they've got this, those bike racks kind of blocking off access to any of those. But so, so these bike racks are about 20 feet from their buses and any big show in town, there's like 30 fans just sitting there leaning about the guy racks, hoping they're going to see something. And they just watching me and, 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 the, and the station manager and all that come walking through there and walk, getting up on their bus. And these people are just glaring at us. Like, who are these people? <laughs> and why do they get to, you know, it's just like, why do they get to go? But it was, it was fun, but you know, it, it, it's just fun to have some of those surreal experiences. And it's the same thing, right? It's it's so cool because for me, it's the same way. It just started out by just listening to music. And I said, I want to do some of that. I was, uh, I don't have it in here, but I had, I started kind of doing something similar to you way back when. I was like, I want to talk about this stuff. I was, I'm like, uh, told us on uh, a previous episode, I don't know if it was the last one or the one before, but I was, I had started this doing something called the Christian Music Source. Now, it's, by the time anybody actually saw it, it was a nice little Facebook page. And I even had a little website for a while, but it originally started in my little homeschool cooperative. And we had a little newspaper because one of the adults said, let's start a newspaper. Can I get you, put those writing skills to use or whatever, get you guys involved in doing something creative or whatever. And I'm like, I want to do something. What do I do? I'll do something with music. What do I do with music? 
going to I'll you know I'll I'll post about the new Christian albums that are releasing. So I'd find the I go online find the new Christian albums that were posted on uh, christianbook.com and, and I'd post them in the in the, in the little paper and we print them out and eventually I'm like, "Well, I want to do more." So I start I I'll do like a newsletter thing and I print it out and hand it out to people. And I actually have a copy of it floating around here somewhere just because I went and dug up the old file just to see it. And I'm like, oh, that's so bad. That is so awesome, though. And right. But that's kind of And I'm like, let's start a Facebook page. And it kind of grew. And it was kind of neat because there's a lot of cool stories of artists connecting with other artists through that and, um, and all of that. But reality was his life happened. I got too busy to really maintain all that. But that's how I ended up back here, though, was because I love doing this. And I wanted to do this, and I said, you know what? How do I do this but manage it well with my time? And I said, podcast. That's it. I can record an episode every once in a while. And yeah, I know I'm not very regular in posting episodes, guys. I know, I know I'm not consistent with time. But that's that's the thing is life happens. I still love having the conversations, but we'll do it when, you know, when it makes sense. But, you know, it's just kind of cool how that journey's kind of progressed and things. And I got to build a lot of great relationships with people through that. But these experiences are just so much fun because you have fun experiences, you have life-changing experiences, and you just get to meet cool people. You know, I love that about some of these things, you know. Um and I hope to eventually kind of get to do some great things as well and have a big impact on others. You know, um, you guys have gotten to have you got to birth something out of some of those things. Right. And and we're not going to get too deep into that because there's a lot of great stories and posts and things out there. But I, I just want to just like recognize that, you know, and Cindy's told a lot about that. So, you know, you can go tell us in some of her conversations on that. But I just want to recognize that, you know, you had a good part in founding the Grizzly Awards. You know, and that was a huge piece of coming out of like, hey, the industry doesn't do a great job of recognizing some of these people. So let's do that, you know. Um, and there's a lot of great people involved in the launch of that. But I did want to recognize you had a great part in that. I think that was just such a great thing to recognize the need for. And I know a lot of the artists have said that with me, but and, and I'll say it, too, is like from them and from myself, thank you for doing that. Um, it was a fun thing to watch fun thing to take part in and i know it had a huge impact for that recognition so just as a quick note to say hey thank you for doing that um it was a great thing to have um so you know it there's great things that come from things like that whether it be something like that coming back somebody doing something even more in that it's just something great to recognize and i know it had a huge impact on a lot of those artists so thank you for doing that um yeah no thank you for recognizing that and for that shout out that's really means a lot to me to hear it is definitely my hope that the legacy of the grizzly awards would be that everybody would know that they have a way that they can mobilize to show appreciation support and solidarity in this music space Because it really is kind of to go back a little bit to what I said earlier about realizing that the people who I love and care for weren't at the table of like the major industry award shows. That was how the Grizzly Awards started was a couple of people and myself having the same vision. I'm so proud of what we built. I'm so proud of what Cindy and Joel and for the first year, Justin, and then the past couple of years, Trevor Tyson, what every single one of us has brought to the table. because I really hope that it was a representation of how much power there is in this little subset of the music industry. And yeah, I mean, I always tell, tell people now, if they ask me about Grizzly Awards as the future's kind of uncertain, I'm like, if you want it to live on, go support the artists. Go oh, tell absolutely. them that they matter. 
go tell them your stories because your stories do matter. You might think they've heard this a thousand times about a song. It still matters. I have watched artists who are, you know, 20, 30 years in still weep over one fan story that they never heard before. So if you want to keep the Grizzlies alive, you are the Grizzly Awards. Go tell artists that what they do matters. Oh, gosh. Go, like, show up for them. Like, it's all of us. It was never just the four of us who are managing it. It's everybody. Absolutely. You know, and I, I'll tell you this. I was definitely a voter. I voted every single time I got a chance. So just, nice. just to put that out there. But no, I mean, really, that is a huge thing to point out. And I, again, it's such a thing. I love that you mentioned it. Is your story, even though it may seem small, even it may seem, oh, you know, you're the first Christian artist I listened to. And I loved it. Just even that can have a huge impact on that artist, whoever that is. Leave the comment. Send them a message if you don't want to put it out publicly. But really, honestly, just saying that, even if they may seem like, oh, well, they're so big, they're not going to read this. Don't they read it. I promise you, they do. Um, it really makes a huge difference. The way I could probably describe it is you think about your day-to-day -day job and, you know, just even if it's the basic job of checking somebody out at the gas station or whatever that might be, and you're just grinding through it. And then your boss says, you know, you've actually have done such a fantastic job today. It's been, you've been done really well. Thank you. Just even that small little bit from them. Think about how that makes you feel. It's the same thing, you know, except it's more than that for an artist because it's, they, most artists put everything they are into what you've listened to. So it really does make a huge difference for them. Um, so no, thank you. I mean, it, it, it's it, it, thank you for giving the fans an outlet to show that appreciation. But as fans, don't stop showing the appreciation. Um, so let's talk about that in a different facet, right? So the Grizzly Awards was a really cool experience and a great way to highlight that. But you got to do something a little bit different that I've I've dabbled in, but I want to talk about this because I don't think we get to see the side of mary and some of the stuff you do too often anymore photography you mm. you mentioned it but you've had you've done some amazing photography work so talk about how you went from cool pics to actually getting to shoot some really cool experiences and taking that camera to some really cool experiences how did that grow from that perspective yeah i love that you asked this because you're right i don't get asked this very often and it's a part of like my story that has just like held a lot of joy for me creatively and really, it started again, like you're saying, you're like little point and shoot. I was taking it to concerts. And when I started with NRT, um, really early on, I was like, okay, I'll do a concert review, but I can take photos too. And I think they really weren't sure if I meant it. Cause you know, I was just like a teenager and they're like, sure. yeah, we're not sure about that. But so I, they got me my first press pass and I went and it was um, like one of the first music with a mission tours. So it was like Fireflight and Bellarive, and I don't even remember who wow. else was on it, but it was, this was like, again, old school now. It's like been like 13 years. <laughs> and I took like just, you know, the best photos I could. And I sent them in and they were like, oh, you can take photos. You know, we're going <laughs> to like give you a photo pass from here on out. But I didn't have a camera and I was really like in a position where, I mean, I was young. I didn't really have money. I, I had a job, but I was helping to support my family at the time. And I had a lot of younger siblings. And I was like, man, I just don't have money to spare. I'm getting these photo passes. I have this opportunity. But how am I going to do this? So it started to be, this is going to sound fake, but this is 100% the truth. 
here's me at 19, 20, 21 years old. Every time I saw a show that I wanted to photograph, I would just pray and say, God, I'm going to need a camera. If I'm going to photograph this show, you're going to have to provide one. And literally every single time somebody would offer me a camera, like the day of. Wow. Like literally one time I met a stranger in line who was like, I'm carrying a camera that I just bought. I don't know how to use it. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do with it or why I even have it with me. And I had a photo pass for that show and no camera. I had literally shown up to shoot a show with no camera. Wow. And this person gave me the camera to shoot the show that evening. And then, and then like, let me keep the memory card and mail it back to her. So literally like the first many times I was shooting shows, it was literally off of like divine provision of having gear. Like it sounds so insane, but for the first, I think three years, I didn't have my own camera. Wow. And I was publishing for NRT. I was having bands pick up my photos and start using them. Um, and after that, as a graduation present from college, some of my friends banded together and got me my first DSLR. It was Canon Rebel. Um, and so from there, I finally actually had my own camera and kind of like started to grow. But really, the thing that has been cool to me about photography is, first of all, I really do love it. Like, I love the fact that I get to tell stories from this dual angle of writing and visuals that to me is always the best thing when I can actually like use both of those strengths but then also I have learned that photography is a really unique way to serve artists because they always need visuals as promotional assets like in a, such a social media driven world artists are always always going to need good photo content and so I learned really quickly I'm like hey I don't need to be doing photography anymore because I have like a very successful like established base as a writer but I love photography and I love giving it away to artists and so that's really been a big part of like what I've done now um, for years since I moved out of the space of doing it like again as I like I needed to to cover it for somebody else um, and I do a lot of like publishing photography on rock on purpose and I'll often kind of like play around too with being like, okay, I'll see a tour twice and I'll photograph it in one of the st stops and then the other stop be in the audience. And it really just has been such a fun way to engage with the music and again, to hopefully give something back. And it has formed relationships in a way that I think even writing couldn't because photos are so good for social media connection. And it's led me into meeting so just such phenomenal concert photographers out there. Like, Annette Holloway, like Chad Fenner, like um, Gemma the Rose, as she's known on Instagram, like Tyler Byers, like all of these people who have just really become fast, fast friends who I love sharing the photo pit with. And it's just because like I have continued to operate out of a position of saying, I don't need to do this, but I want to. And so I'm going to keep doing it. No, that's 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 such a great story because like it's something it's, again it's something similar I got to do too like um I I was doing my cruise music research thing I'm like oh, I was doing I always did interviews I never I'm almost ninety percent of them never actually made it to public uh, they're long gone probably on a voice recorder that's been disappeared in the trash somewhere at this point but i was doing interviews and stuff and eventually i got to go get a press pass at my local christian music festival agape fest i was so excited because the year before they turned me down because they had no idea who i was and what i was wanting like, right come to us when you get a website and then we can talk i got a website i'm like i was so excited <laughs> and then they're like okay you know what yeah here's a press pass and i'm like okay 
I brought my grandmother's DSLR. I had a Canon Rebel XT at the time. Oh, nice. Right, right. And I had no idea what I was doing that thing at all. But I was like, yeah, all right. I figured out with that press was like, oh my gosh, I can get on the front of the stage. Maybe I should try to take some pictures here. So I did. And and, and I kind of took a great, I took a bunch of pictures just from all kinds of angles. And I noticed being in that spot, like all of a sudden the artists were looking at me and making faces at me. I'm like, this is different. I like this. So I started taking pictures and all that. And I posted on Facebook and tagged the artist and then never thought anything of it again. I'm like, all right, that was kind of fun. I didn't think I did a very good job. I thought it was kind of fun. And then every once in a while, I noticed the artist would like the picture. And then sometimes it'd make a profile picture. I'm like, Oh, that was kind of cool. And eventually it kind of like stuck with me. So I kind of, you know, I kind of was like, I should try that again sometime. And I got a good camera again. I got a, now I got an Icon D3200. Oh, nice. Definitely an upgrade. It definitely an upgrade, right? At least now it uses SD cards. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, I like, okay, well, I have don't go to shows where I get to really do that anymore. Um, I go to shows all the time, but it's like, I didn't have a platform at the time. I had nothing and like, uh, it's hard to get press passes. If nobody knows who you are, I'm like, all right, well, whatever. I had no, I had, didn't even have photo, uh, photos to really show off yet. So I was like, all right, whatever. Well, I ended up going to kingdom come a couple years ago for the first time because I just I'm like, well, you know, a lot of the people I've worked with over the years are there and I'm like, I'll go check it out. And it looked kind of cool. And I'm going to check it. By the way, again, it keeps coming up these podcasts because it's a great festival. But I mean, it really is. So if you want to go to a great festival, go check out Kingdom Come. Yes. Ministry minded, free, and a great experience. Um, a lot of the people you should be listening to are there, whether you know it or not. Um, but I got up taking the camera, did some shots and stuff. And I, I went, I was like, I went and had a conversation with the, the, the photographer that I was running around. It was uh, Jeanette Yoder at the time. Oh, and yeah. I, like, I love Jeanette. Right? And I'm like, Jeanette. How do you like, because I've seen her stuff for years, like, what are you doing? And then she kind of walked me and she started giving me tips. I'm like, this is kind of cool. And, and I got to have that experience and stuff. And I was like, and she liked, and I kind of showed her some of the stuff I was doing. She's like, that's kind of good. I'm like, really? I'm like, why is she saying my stuff's good? Because my stuff is like, I thought my stuff was nowhere near as good. And I, I still don't think it is, but um it was kind of cool because it eventually resulted in me at a photo pass which then i got to meet chad venner mm. and then katie slater you know yes, and so it's like gonna meet katie. some of those you know i haven't shot anything outside of that but i still shoot go there every year now to shoot like that i make sure i get to go do that now because it's such a fun experience but i wanted to talk about that because i think it's such it's fun to do the photography it's fun for me to get to experience it the artists appreciate it and it's just it's just neat community in that space you know um so uh, it's just kind of fun and you do great photography so i want to make sure people are aware of that even well um, thank you and i'm glad you've had that same experience right it, it it it's fun because like you know you're talking about like well it's 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 really cool to pair some of your writings with your own photography and that's something i get to do now with my stuff is like all the cover photos for my episodes are my shots if oh, I don't have nice. a shot of somebody, I try to work with somebody. Like so far, one of the main photographers I've used, if it's not my shot, is Chad Fenner. You know, mm -hmm. so I've gotten a pull. Like Matt's episode that's uh, just came out was that was one of Chad's shots. You know, so that was kind of cool to get to do that. But it's just such a neat community and things. And it's you're right. It's just a fun experience to get to do that and kind of cool to see. Like, hey, I did that. You know, it's kind of fun. But um, so I want to talk about something else a little bit more too. Is so. 
you know, we've talked about like the rock on purpose and, and, and all of these different cool things you've got to do and the photography and all that. But let's shift away from the music a little bit. It, the music led to this. But let's talk about Exodus Road a little bit. And, and we're going to be careful, guys, because we, you know, it's such an amazing organization, but it's very sensitive, the work they do. So we're going to kind of talk about it from a higher level. But I really want to highlight the work that Exodus Road does because it is an amazing organization that absolutely needs to be supported and needs that recognition because the work they do is such, such important work. How did you get involved with Exodus Road a little bit? And what does it that they do? And maybe even start some of the story, tell someone the story about how they got started as an organization. Yeah, so really these stories are very much parallel. Um, it began for the Exodus Road in about 2012 when the founders, Matt and Laura Parker, were living in Thailand and they were um, working with uh, girls at a girls' home there. And they were finding girls disappearing from all the villages. Like they were finding this was just like a normal thing that people were talking about. There was actually this saying, there are no pretty girls in the villages. Because all of them were being um, lured and coerced and tricked into taking what sounded like legitimate jobs and ended up being actually commercial sexual exploitation. So Matt and Laura wanted to do something about it really quickly and kind of led to Matt being deputized by police to do a lot of investigative work in order to collect the evidence that was needed for law enforcement to arrest traffickers and recover survivors. So that happened in about... 2012 that they decided to formalize it as a nonprofit. very quickly thereafter they were like we need somebody to champion this nonprofit and raise money because there's so much work to be done and so sort of through like one thing leading to another and mutual friends they ended up in nashville talking to a band remedy drive and david zock the lead singer had just really sort of recently been transitioning like out of like their time on a label and they were kind of in a position of wondering what was next. And those conversations made it clear for Remedy Drive that what was next was mobilizing their band as a vehicle to point support towards that work. And additionally, that David himself would be serving in an investigative capacity overseas on and off. So very shortly thereafter, that was happening, that conversation with Matt and Laura and David was happening in 2013, 2014, I get an email from David Zock's publicist saying, hey, I want you to have coffee with David and hear about what he's doing. So it was me and then a couple of my colleagues, and we met with David, and he shared about this brand new fledgling nonprofit that he'd gotten connected with that did counter-trafficking work in Thailand. And I was super intrigued. I already had like some interest in social justice from like a college where I, I did a lot of sort of study around that and how it intersects with theology and the idea of orthopraxy and practicing our faith. And David and I are really kind of like, like I said earlier, kindred spirits in that way. So I was intrigued. And then a few months later, I directed a video shoot in his living room right after they had released, it was like for the release of Commodity, effectively, where, which was their first album full of counter-trafficking songs. And between takes, he was telling me stories about the work and specifically telling me stories of the teenage girls he had met. And I was absolutely captivated by them. And even just in hearing about them, I was in love with them. 
And I knew from that moment that if there was ever anything that I could do to be a deeper part of what the Exodus Road was doing, I wanted to do it. So even in my like music journalism world, I continued to wherever I could highlight the Exodus Road in tandem with Remedy Drive. So like new release today published a whole video series for Human Trafficking Awareness Month in 2015 that was pointing to the Exodus Road as a way to get involved. I consistently did interviews, album reviews, donated to the Exodus Road, um, and also started obsessively checking their careers page. Because I was like, I kind of like like what I'm doing. It's not like it's like, you know, I'm looking to do anything different. But if the opportunity came up, this would be the thing that would drop me in. And after grad school, my husband uh, took up a university position. And we both said, okay, as soon as, like, whoever gets a job in Colorado first, we're going to move there. Because I have a whole lot of um, friends and family out here. And he beat me by a few months. He got a job teaching at a university. And then... Once we moved here, like literally like two, three months later, the Exodus Road posted a position for a writer and it could not have been more perfect timing because um, this is where the Exodus Road is headquartered. Their U.S. office is here in Colorado, oh, wow. where I live. So I applied and I think they were a little bit stunned to find somebody who had been following them for that long. Um, although I'm not the only one. I, one of my colleagues has also been the same, has been like another Exodus Road super fan. And so really now the Exodus Road has grown tremendously from the days when I first encountered them. Now, in addition to doing investigative work, we also do aftercare work. So in particular in Thailand, especially, we have two homes that actually house survivors of trafficking in Thailand. And then we also do prevention work. We actually have like a really incredible youth curriculum that we have just launched that's to prevent online exploitation through education and through starting valuable conversations between parents and teenagers. So that's kind of our three-pronged approach. It's prevention and then intervention or inter um, investigation and then aftercare. And we operate in six countries around the world. Um, we have a staff of about 100 around the world. Um, and each country is staffed entirely from people who are native to that country because they are the experts in the work and what it needs to look like on the ground. And wow. I have the profound honor of telling the stories of this global work of the people who do it. And most importantly of the survivors who we are a part of walking alongside. Wow. Uh, that's, that's just amazing. Um, it, it's, it's hugely important work because I don't think people realize how prevalent that industry is, you know, and, and it's scary too sometimes because I don't think we realize how prevalent the industry is here. Yes. You know, and so I love the fact that you guys have put a lot of uh, emphasis on awareness, not only of that, that industry as a whole, but just like between a parent and, and, and the child, the teen or whatever saying, be careful because mm -hmm. it's such a real, real, real reality, right? It's, it's so it's it's just not a good thing and it's everywhere you know so i love the work that that, that organization does and I, I i know i wanted to take a second just to highlight that work a little bit um and i think that's just a cool thing you've gotten to be able to be involved in something you follow for a long time and now get get to take something you're really passionate about and then tie that into everything and i think that's something that you know it's cool to see that there's somebody out there that gets to do their passions right Everything you've done so far is somehow connected to something you're passionate about, 
right? And I think that's such a neat thing. Um, there was one other thing I kind of wanted to kind of talk about a little bit is, you know, a big thread throughout all these conversations is your writing. What 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 got you into writing, and how did you get to you know how did you practice that art? What drove that passion for you in writing? Yeah, so for me, I feel like I always say that I've been telling stories since before I could even write because initially it was I would write little picture books when I was very small. Um, but really, for me, I think what helped me find my voice as a writer is the fact that my actual voice was a thing I couldn't rely on as a child because I had a speech handicap that came from some developmental trauma. And so I could not speak correctly until I was about 11 years old. And because I couldn't really speak correctly, I was really intensely bullied for how I did like pronounce things or mispronounce things and my stutter and my inability to get words out. It was just relentless, relentless bullying. And so I learned to be quiet and I learned that my voice could be held by pages instead. And so I started writing just like voraciously when I was like five or six, just like writing poetry, writing stories, writing journal entries. Like, I mean, I have wrote my first novel when I was 11. Like I just found so much safety and solace there because that was a way that my words could go somewhere. And really, in a very real way, writing continued to be a place that was protective and like salvific in a way as a teenager. There was a place I could take refuge where things were really, really difficult and painful. Um, writing really held me. It was a place where I could be heard when I really didn't feel like I had that necessarily in my day-to-day -day life. And it's one of those things I tell people all the time, especially teenagers, if you love something, just do it. Like, it's okay if you don't see any way right now that it'll make money. It's okay if you don't say any way right now that it will like be meaningful to somebody else. If you love something, there's a reason for it. And no act of love is ever small. Every act of love is profound and eternal. And so if you like care about gaming even, like I actually am 100%, like you would be surprised how something like that could ultimately serve you. Like my, my husband, who's a math professor, he talks about how some of his problem solving skills that he learned in playing video games were how he earned a PhD in mathematics down the road. Wow. And for me, I'm like, you know, my like little poetry writing that I did as a child in a notebook that I hid under my bed lent itself to now something that has been a skill that has carried me into so many places where I get to take the grace that has been given to me and give it away. So I think like that, that freedom to just choose to do it, even if no one was ever going to see it, is what ultimately, ironically, led me into the places where people saw it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. No, I mean, I, I totally get it. You know, that's, and I think I, I've had, I don't know, I've had similar experiences with just like, I'm just going to have fun doing what I love, however that might be, and however silly it may come out, or however cheesy it might look, I'm going to have fun doing it, and if it goes somewhere great, if not, cool too. You know, um, so I, I, I love that. So just follow your passions. Sit there with the, you know, if you want to talk and have a conversation with somebody, turn on a microphone and post it on the internet. Somebody might actually like it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. eh, you know, you never know. But, 
but no, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's just so cool to see all of your different passions culminating to everything that's been going on and follow that thread all the way through. So that was kind of a fun walk through some of those stories, but um, so I kind of want to shift a little bit. Let's have some fun a little bit. Right. So uh, something I've been kind of play testing a little bit and something I think might be kind of fun in this situation. You've done a lot of interviews. You've done a lot of these type of things and you've been interviewed. You've done interviews. You've interviewed others, that kind of thing. So I've been kind of playing with something a little bit and some of the, and I've done this before and I want to try it again. And I just, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. So I want to try something. What I want you to do, I want you to ask me a question. Anything's no limits, just whatever you want. Ask me a question. See what goes. Mm, I like this. What for you has been so significant about the Christian rock community? What has set it apart from other communities that you have been a part of in your life? That is actually a fantastic question. See, this is why I do this. No, I mean, <laughs> I think it's almost in the words you used in its community, um, especially, and, I, and I'll focus on this, and I'm going to focus on the idea of, I'll focus on rock community because the Christian rock community, the smaller artists, the people you're going to see at Kingdom Comes and all that, it's a it's a community. It's family oriented. It's and I mean family oriented. Like we, you go to one of these events, and you almost become part of that family. You know, I've gotten to meet so many great people that have become such a huge part of my life. I've had um, an artist that was up and coming stay stay in my 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 house uh dj my wedding you know and things like that and it's just like as you get involved and just become a fan you become a family and it's i don't see that in a lot of other types of things like this you know and the different things that i you know i see in my life and places i go and things i get involved in it's not the same it's different you know it's very much a family and there's a reliance on each other and a family type relationship that's almost necessary because we need each other in that, you know? Um, and, and it's just been so great. I, I love using kingdom come as that example because it's, it's a small festival that does not charge anything for you to be there. They somehow raise the money to put it on. And there are people that are so dedicated to being there from an artist's perspective to a fan's perspective. And, it's been going on from I think they're on their eleventh year, maybe your eleventh or twelfth year, and there are people that have been there from the beginning. And at the first, I see people that have come the first that I came the first year I came, and they're like me. They're like, I got to keep coming back to this because you get to know these people and you build those relationships, and it's just like you're involved in everything that's going on, you know. And something tragic happens in their life or something good, you're you're right there celebrating with them. And it's so cool to get that experience. So I think that's probably one of my biggest things I see is different is the word you use to ask the question is community. It's a different community that I just don't see anywhere else in any other format. At least that's from my perspective. So I love that. I would totally agree. I think that there is like a true community and truly like a space where there's a welcome, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what your background is, that it's like, we in this moment are unified. And I think that there's precious few places left where we can really experience that. And like, I have so loved being a part of that over the years too. Oh gosh. Yes. It, it's some of my favorite experiences in life is through that. And I think I love just sucking other people into that. <laughs> yes. Right. It's like, I like, I gotta get more people into this, but that's, that's kind of it. You know, that's, 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 a, that was a great question, by the way. That's, that's, 
that that's why I think this is fun. I want to keep trying this because every time somebody does that, I end up with a great question. So, and I, I never know where it goes. Last time I had done one of these, somebody asked me like, if you're out on the road, just going on tour or going to show stuff, like, what is the one number one place you have to stop for food? Oh, I love that too. That's like way more lighthearted. I went like deep, but that's oh, no, kind I of- <laughs> love deep. That was great. No, well, well, okay. Where are you going to stop for food? If you're going to be out like anywhere on the road on tour, like where's that? Like I am in the Northeast. I have to go to, or whatever. Like, where is that? Like, I have to go do this because I'm here. Oh man. I mean, well, you said the Northeast, I'm going to say I do love a good sheets gas station. Um, they so. just like, I've got to go, but if I'm in the South, it's quick trip. And if I'm like in Florida, it's going to be Wawa. Um, and then like, it kind of varies in other regions, but yes, I do have, I do have my favorites, but sheets is up there. I, every time I've done multiple festivals up in that area and every time I'm like, stopping there every single day so oh my gosh yes i did uprise i've been uprise once i it's so hard for me because i have to you know i have to work for a living i don't get to do all the fun stuff i don't get i don't get to go to the festivals as much as i want to but i, I made a decision when you went to uprise and it was the one of my favorites uh but i love uprise guess what i did with the sheets because guess what after you leave uprise you know at midnight one in the morning sheets is still open and they're still mm-hmm. feeding you it was great I'm telling you, but no, I'm for real. Sheets is great. Now I, I'm always going to be biased towards quick trip because I live in St. Louis and we have one. Oh, in every of course. Corner. Yeah. So, That's straight course, up right? quick trip territory. I, exactly. oh, I love a quick trip. Oh yeah. For, for real. Especially the new ones where they started putting on the, they put on some of the same kitchen stuff as Sheets does. I know. They don't serve we just, food all night. They brought one out to Colorado. The first one, the first two technically are in Colorado and I have to go at like just open. And I'll have to like let you know if they serve food all night or not because fingers crossed. We'll I don't see. get that luck around here, but maybe maybe <laughs> out there they're doing that. It's different. Maybe with the brand new ones. I mean, uh-huh. time will tell. Right, right. But no. So like, it, it's it, that's always a fun question. I, I sometimes I love to ask that question just because you get different answers all the time. You know, you you get the you get the ones that you always hear the sheets. That's always a classic. I, I hear that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, in and out. If you people go out west, that's always a big one. Oh yes, yeah. Mine is a little more unique. Um, I say Taco John's. I don't know if you're familiar with Taco John's, but I am. That is a really deep cut. Like, look at that. But I grew up. I I grew up around St. Louis, but I I moved away to St. Louis for a little while. I moved to Northern Iowa, and you didn't get Taco Bell. You get Taco John's. Yeah, that is that territory. Mm -hmm. And guess what? It beats Taco Bell every time. Hands down, every time. It's just Hot better. takes here on the podcast. Oh, I love gosh, it. yeah. No, I don't mess around with my taco jobs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it's always fun to kind of mess around a little bit and have some fun questions, too. But, you know, it, it, it's it's just these these conversations are fun. You just never know where we're going to end up. But, um, you know, I always say I appreciate you coming on because it's been a fun experience to hear your story and to see, like, how music has impacted you, but also have those conversations about how you've gotten to impact music. Because it's true, you know, and it's it's so cool to see your hands on that and, and, and both sides of that. Um, and, and, you know, it sounds like, you know, you've got to do all these cool things and, oh, I'll never get to do that kind of thing. You don't know that. The reality is, is if you follow your passion, that could be, you could be doing all that and then some. You know, it just depends on where you're meant to be. Um, 
Yeah, no, I would say that too. Like to anybody who's listening who thinks that like their skill or their passion is too small, it's not. It's like, you know, you just offer up the loaves and the fish to God and see what he does with it. See how he can incarnate love in and through you to the world. And if he could do that again with like a, like a homeschooled kid from a cult in Texas who was not even allowed to listen to Rebecca St. James growing up, like he can do it with you. Like school pastor's kid in Missouri, the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's amazing how these stories repeat themselves sometimes, but you know, that's just it. Follow your passions. All right. So one thing I always try to do um, is always say the last piece that I want to touch. And I hate doing it. I hate like going like, well, let's go have some fun. And then just diving right back down deep into it. But it's, it's something I always want to finish with because I think it's such an important stop to make. Because everybody's got a different story and everybody's got a different message to give. So I always stop and say, okay, as we wrap up, what's the last thing that you could possibly get out to anybody? What's that one message that you just say you have to listen to my words and say, this is what you need to know? Yeah, if I could give the world one message from my life, it would be simply to know that you are impossibly loved and held by grace. And there is grace upon grace for every place that you have felt like you're broken. And every voice that has told you that you are worthless is not telling the truth. Fear and shame never tell the truth. But love and grace will always, every time, be right about who you are. And I hope you hear them and I hope you listen to them because you're worth it. Absolutely. I I won't say any more than that because that just really nails it perfectly. So that being said, thank you for coming. First and foremost, I'll say that many more times just because I have a tendency to repeat myself. I'm working on it. Still new to this podcasting game, but we're having fun. Um, where can we find anything Mary Nickel related? There's a lot, right? We've got a couple of different avenues, but where can we follow some of the stuff you're doing? Okay, so here's a rundown. If you just want me, then it's at Mary Nickel. That's N-I-K-K-E-L on Instagram and Mary Nickel Media on Facebook. And then if you want Rock on Purpose, that's Rock on Purpose Live on Instagram and on Facebook, and it's rockonpurpose.com. And then I would be so thrilled and honored if you would follow The Exodus Road as well. That's just at The Exodus Road on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or X, uh, TikTok, YouTube, all the platforms, or at theexodusroad.com. And I would love for you to go see some of the stories I get to tell. Yeah, please do. Um, if you're feeling like support, please do as well because they're doing amazing work. That being said, Mary, thank you for coming on. It's been a great episode. I'm really excited for you know whatever else. If you you know, I'd love to have you back at some point if you if you'd be willing to. Um, absolutely, anytime. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for listening, everybody else. Um, you're starting to hear that theme music come up. So thank you, D Swan, for letting us use your song haters for our theme music. Uh, you will find us again here, same time someday when I post the next episode. So good night, everybody.